Apostasy, then and now. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. We're contending for the faith here on Abounding Grace. Glad you could join us for our continuing study of Jude. It's a common experience. You were serving with someone in church for quite a while, but now they're not walking with the Lord. Or someone walked an aisle, prayed a prayer as a teenager, but now as an adult want nothing to do with God. What are we to make of this? Pastor Ed Taylor joins us with an important discussion on the topic of apostasy. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Jude. If you would, Jude only has one chapter. It's the book right before Revelation. Jude in chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 5, where we left off last time. And the title of our study today is Apostasy, Then and Now. Apostasy. We've learned that Jude is the half-brother of Jesus, and he started to write a note of encouragement to the believers but he ended up writing one of the strongest letters elevating truth and warning believers of falsehoods and false teachers. It's one of the strongest letters toward falsehood and false teachers in all the Bible. And it's a small book, 25 verses in the New King James, uh, 600 plus words, but it's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and very important truths. The topic of the letter in general is apostasy. Have you heard that word before, apostasy? The definition is to defect from the faith. Or another way of saying, defining apostasy, is to leave from true faith. And the leaving from true faith, I believe, reveals the fact that they never really had true faith to begin with. There was a separation that took place. And someone that depart from the faith, someone that depart from the fellowship, someone that depart from, like there's something real popular today known as deconstruction. And what's happening is, is people are beginning to analyze their life and analyze their Christian experience and and associate their Christian experience with one particular church or the upbringing in their family or how their parents treated them. And and they're ascribing all of the mistakes that might have been made. And by the way, can I just say, Anyone, anywhere involved with other believers in any type of church gathering, any type of group are going to experience mistakes. Your parents are going to make mistakes. Your grandparents are going to make mistakes. Pastors are going to fail you. People are going to fail you. That is part of the human condition. However, that's upon the backdrop of Jesus and Jesus Christ himself will never fail you. He'll never leave or forsake you. And so this sense of deconstruction is actually just a response to pain and hurt experienced by other human beings. And the problem with deconstructionism is it leads to apostasy. It leads to people leaving the faith, associating behaviors of people to the one true living God. And and whenever you hear that phrase, now let me just say, I'm not opposed to testing the truth. I'm not opposed to examining yourself, making sure that you're in the faith. That's different. Just looking at where you're at. 
praying about what's going on in your life, having, having these crises of faith. I think everyone, especially kids that are raised in a Christian home, will have at some point in their life a real crisis of faith. It's that moment in time or that doctrine or teaching where a son or a daughter says, you know, I know what my parents believe. I know I was raised in this home, but I'm not sure I believe that. And as they process that thought, I mean, it's our responsibility to come and help them and answer their good questions. Listen, answer their good questions with good answers. Because there are good answers. And so the questioning is not, I'm not opposed to that. Like that's part of life. That's part of exploration. That's part of learning. It doesn't make a person bad that they have these, this crisis of faith or doubting. But the idea of deconstruction is almost like an overreaction to the reality of difficulty in this world. And whenever you hear that phrase, almost always you're going to read of someone apostatizing. And you go, wait a minute, this guy wrote a book that sold millions yeah, but was he really a believer to begin with? But this guy, he just divorced his wife. Yeah, but was he really a believer? You know, this guy, he was in the pulpit and now he just came out. Yeah, was he really a believer to begin with? We need to consider that. Listen to what the Bible says. Just jot it down. It's a good cross-reference in this book. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, listen. John writes, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have, come, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... Even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And here he describes, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And we're seeing a shaking right now of the church with what's going on in our culture what's happening all around us. And it is discouraging to see so many. I, I've been reading a lot in the last, I don't know, eight years or so about the history of our own little church family. The church family, Calvary Chapel, the Vineyard, so many other great ministries that started in what was known as the Jesus Movement. And it was just an amazing time of revival in our country that our church ha owes its roots to. Calvary Chapel, Vineyard, they weren't the only churches uh, that were involved in birth through the Jesus movement, but it's our church, it's our family, it's our history. So I've been reading and reading, whether it's Greg Laurie or whether it's uh, John Wimber or Chuck Smith, I've been reading all these. And the one thing that discouraged me the most is in each of those books, they talk about, yeah, we were serving with so-and-so, but they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And we were doing great things. Even in Billy Graham's biography, his right-hand man became a radical atheist. And we have to ask ourselves, were they ever saved to begin with? Were they ever saved to begin with? Were they ever born again? Because a person in the Bible, you'll, you'll never read anywhere in the Bible of a real bona fide man or woman, boy or girl that was born again, ever becoming unborn again. Never in the Bible. You have new life. You're a new creation in Christ. You're going to persevere. You're going to endure. You're going to get through the battles. But there are those that disappear, that I believe pretend. They pretend to be a part of the body of Christ. They're Christians in name only, or a new phrase that's been developed over the last few years, cultural Christianity, especially within our culture, where it just seems to be easy to be a believer let me tell you, friend, it is not easy to live for Jesus Christ in a dark, wicked world. It will be challenging. You go, Ed, what do you mean? What do you mean? What, what are you talking about? 
Well, I'm just repeating to you what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, John chapter 16, verse 33, you should memorize it, just so you can be encouraged when you're going through difficulty. In this world, you will have tribulation. And that tribulation will be met Why he says, but hey, be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. The overcoming power of a world that's under the sway of the wicked one is found solely in Jesus Christ alone for the born-again believer. So remember, hypostasy and, and apostasy and hypocrisy go together. Apostasy and hypocrisy. And you go, wait a minute, Ed, what do you mean? How are they exactly closely related? Well, hypocrisy is this fake dishonest way of life. The word comes to us from the Greek plays, from the Greek theater, the idea of putting on a mask to play a role so that whatever mask you had on was the role that you played. So if you wanted to play a male character, you'd put on a male mask. If you wanted to play a female character, you'd put on a female. If you wanted to play a jester, you'd put on a jester. But behind the mask was the reality. And so when you face hypocrisy, You're basically putting on a mask for everyone around you, hiding the real you. And when you live with hypocrisy, and when the church presents hypocrisy, when hypocrisy is praised and honored, the, the world gets tired of that stuff. They already live in a fake world. What the world is looking for, and I think many believers, is authenticity. You'll hear that word. That's a big buzzword today. And basically, just people are, I just want something real. I just want something real. I want somebody to tell me the truth. I want to be able to trust somebody and they won't stab me in the back. And certainly you've heard that. And then the other part of that is with hypocrisy, you know, you'll hear, well, you know, I'm not interested in church. It's just full of a bunch of hypocrites, which isn't necessarily uh, an an incorrect statement. You know, there is hypocrisy among us. There can be hypocrisy in my life as a pastor. It's something I have to guard against so that I can be real. One of the reasons why Folks don't want to be real is because they're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of shame and guilt. They're afraid. There's a phrase. We don't have time to develop it. There's a phrase in the scriptures that talks about the fear of man. The fear of man. Just worried about what people think and worried about whether whether you're going to be accepted. Worried about how you're going to fit into the culture. But it's better to be right with the Lord and let him take care of those things. It's not okay to be a hypocrite. It's not okay. And where you know where hypocrisy exists in your life, deal with it. And so don't be surprised, even in our day and age, 2,000 years later, where you hear all sorts of deconstructing and people that were platformed, people that made a lot of money with books and music and, you know, celebrity pastors, they just end up crashing and burning because you have to ask the question, were they saved to begin with? Were they saved to begin with? This isn't new. It's been going on for 2,000 years. What people were forced to come to terms with is that they never really did surrender their lives to the Lord. That's something they have to ask. They were living a very surface, fake life. Let me again write it, jot it down in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. It says, now the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, here's the difficulty when it comes to us. We don't know who are real believers or who aren't. We don't know. We don't know your heart. We don't know your personal relationship with God. We don't know. 
And it's important you realize that. But here's how we handle that. You say you're a real believer, we'll treat you like one. And we'll hold you to a biblical standard. And we'll encourage you. We'll pray for God's best in your life. You say you're a believer and you act like an unbeliever, well, then we'll exhort you and call you to a biblical standard and call you to repentance and call you to submit to the authority of God's word and call you back to a vibrant life. Now, if you're an unbeliever, we'll treat you like that. We'll love you, care for you, we'll share the gospel with you, and you too will be called to repentance. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about who's saved or who's not saved because that's a relationship you have with God. The time that I spend is exhorting you and encouraging you to keep your eyes on Jesus and follow him. No matter where you are, saved, unsaved, acting like it, not acting like it. Uh, hopefully, uh, and that's not even hopefully, in this church, you're just going to get the truth. That's what you'll receive to the best of our ability. You may not like it. You may not like us for it. But one day you'll look back. If, I hope it's before you meet the Lord. But one day you'll look back and you go, I am glad in my journey in life that somebody told me the truth. I'm upset about it. I'm still a little mad at him, but I'm glad that somebody told me the truth. Because when you love someone, you tell them the truth. You don't lie to people that you love. It's a very painful behavior. And it undermines trust and undermines relationship. It requires a lot of repentance and humility. For the people you love, you tell them the truth. And that's where Jude is. He's telling us the truth. I don't know who's saved and who's not saved. I don't know who's apostate until it happens. And even in the short history that we've had here, I've watched a lot of people fall away. I'm just shocked by it. I would have never known. I served with them. They're in leadership here. I mean, I would have never in a bajillion years predicted that they would have fallen away, become atheists and antichrists. Not just upset, not just mad, but just like, man, I, I do not want to follow Jesus at all. Or, or they created God in their own image. I, I just didn't, I, I was naive, I think, in many ways. Just naive to what I wouldn't have expected that to be. But then when I start reading about the history of the church, I start reading about the history of our own little movement, it's not unusual. And so my prayer becomes that you are a real believer and you just steady on following Jesus no matter what. That you don't fall away. That you don't walk out those. You don't become this person like, oh, they were faking it all along. They weren't real. We'd rather have the mess of reality than the mess of hypocrisy any day of the week. We'd rather deal with the reality of where your life is, help you, walk with you, encourage you, exhort you. I'd rather have the mess of reality than have to deal with all the lies and deceit and somebody fighting us out the door like, oh no, you don't understand. No, no, actually we do understand. You just won't humble yourself. You won't humble yourself. Apostasy. We need to learn to walk by faith, surrendering daily, moment by moment, walking in love, because remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says that no wonder Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. But do you remember what he says before that? That's kind of, we, we kind of use that phrase. We Angel, you know, the devil can make himself an angel of light. But listen to what he says first in verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles or followers of Christ. There are people that claim to be one thing, but they're liars. And deceitful. And that's what Jude is really dealing with here. So let's pick up uh, where we left off in, let's go in verse 4 of there in Jude. 
For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, verse 5, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. I like that phrase. I want to remind you. I know that many times, especially in a church that teaches through the Bible, you get that sense like, I've heard that before. Like, I've heard that before. And sometimes you think, well, Ed's just not coming up with new material. He just keeps teaching the same thing over and over again. I've heard that before. I think I've heard that before. And the reason why you've heard that before is God loves to repeat himself. It's one of the best ways to learn. Repetition. And so what does Jude say? I want to remind you guys, you need to remember this. I don't want you to forget this. And he's appealing to their memory. Remember, church. Remember what you've been taught. Paul will do that as well. Remember, remember, Peter. Remember, remember. I like what Skip Heitzig says here, and I quote, For truth to have an impact in the present, we must remember the past. This happens on a number of levels, he writes. Every September 11th, for almost the last 20 years at Ground Zero in Manhattan, New York City, the names of those people who died in the World Trade Towers are read publicly. Why every year, he asks. Why every year? Why go through that? So no one forgets. So that no one forgets. Jude says, I want to remind you guys, you know this already, but you need to hear it over and over again. And he gives three biblical pictures of apostates, of those that have turned or fallen away from God, experiencing God's judgment. The first group in verse 5 are the Israelites in Egypt. By reference, you can jot down Numbers chapter 13 and 14. But he says, I want to remind you though, I want you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The children of Israel were at an important place in history when they came to the area of Kadesh Barnea. Moses sent in 12 spies to buy out the land, but really just to confirm what God already said. Ten came back with a discouraging report. Two came back with an encouraging report. And the people believed the ten. Because it's easier to believe bad news than it is good news. And because of that evil report, the children of Israel started what became a 40-year death march. And a whole generation was wiped out in the wilderness. There was a rebellion against the word of God and the will of God. Apostasy involves rebellion against the word of God and the will of God. And as a result, everyone 20 years and older were destined to die sometime in the next 40 years. Those who did not believe fell away from the position of faith in the Lord and experienced the consequence of that bad decision. Notice group number two in verse six, this group of angels 
who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, he's reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Now, scripturally, we see two different falling away of angels. One where the demons are still roaming on the earth today, and one where there's a group reserved in chains. The first is in Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 14, with Lucifer rebelling against God, he ends up taking one-third of the angels with him. The other, we don't know where or when it happened. We just know the result. We're not entirely sure when it happened or even how many are involved. But something caused God to chain these guys up <laughs> until the day of judgment. Such wickedness. And you can jot down the reference we learned in 2 Peter chapter 2. So even angels God judged because of their decisions of rebellion toward him. Even from a position of privilege and authority and blessing and opportunity, they still turned away from God's love. The third group is in verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah. These cities around them in similar manner gave themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh. And he says, I want to remind you, because they're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, why would Jude have these in mind? I think that you connect them back to verse 4. Certain men crept in unnoticed. Remember, they were into licentiousness, sexual sin, wickedness, perversion. He connects it with those angels that have fallen, and now he connects them with the sexual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible tells us that the people in these cities were ungodly and filthy and wicked and unlawful, unjust, even sexually deviant. Their sin was not occasional, but the Greek here refers to indulging in excessive immorality. It was their lifestyle. Homosexual sin, the pridefulness of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is all too familiar in our culture today. I know that our, because we live in this country, our country gets a lot of attention, but sexual sin is in every country. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is involved in wicked, rebellious sin against God. Of the sexual kind, of pride, of arrogance, of being unlawful and wicked and unjust, Many, most of the world, much of the world does that under the guise of false religion. And it's covered up by their religious practices. It wasn't simply facing temptations in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was the aggressive homosexuality pushing an agenda in Sodom and Gomorrah. God brought strong judgment to these cities, destroying them for their sinfulness. Can I just say sexual sin will destroy you too? It'll destroy you starting on the inside out. It'll destroy your singleness. It'll destroy your purity. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your relationship with your kids. It'll destroy your relationship with the opposite sex. Any normal friendships will be all skewed up and perverse. Why? Sexual sin. We're making our way through the book of Jude right now on Abounding Grace. Today, Pastor Ed Taylor spoke on the subject of apostasy, not only in Jude's day, but even right now. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen to Ed through our app. Simply search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We also have a podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Our pick of the month is Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Pastor Bill Gem. What comes to mind when I mention the prophet Elijah? Perhaps you think of a man who walked closely with God and did amazing miracles. Well, that is true. But maybe you didn't realize Elijah, like many of us, struggled with fear, doubt, and even depression. In this book, you'll read about the life of Elijah and how God's faithfulness brought him out from under the broom tree of despair. He can do the same for you. We'll gladly send you a copy of Struggling Under the Broom Tree when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And we want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses. That's our prayer and our heart's desire. And if you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we'd sure appreciate it. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll see how to remain close to the Lord through simplicity as Pastor Ed Taylor continues our new study of Jude. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.